Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Hey, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. That's where we're going to be. Um, I also just want to plug our sermon guides and uh, also honor Lexi. You're getting a lot of, a lot of stage time and, and honor today, Lexi. Um, Lexi, every single week, uh, once the sermon is posted uh, via whatever podcast app you use, on our website, she also develops an activation to go with each sermon. So you'll see on the right, if you click, so far we just have them in this Luke series. Um, But if you were to go to the Luke series, you'd see on the right the different messages. um, And then on the left, you would see these different sermon guides for a few of them uh, that we've started writing. Um, Each of these sermon guides is essentially uh, an effort that we're making, and Lexi is kind of bearing the brunt of that, to help you make God's truth practical in your life. You know, if you think about what we're doing right now, we're having a conversation together Uh, And we want you to go have a conversation with God, actually, after um, the message. We want you to go and spend time in in a journal, listening, asking God questions about how this might uh, intersect with your life. So I just wanted to plug that uh, and remind you that we have those four four sermons right now, but they're going to be posted um, each time uh, you hear a message here at the church. It'll go up there as well. Okay, so uh, Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be. Uh, this morning, and once you turn there, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of Scripture. All right, Luke 12, verse 35. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will make them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. Even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left, let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. 
And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he's not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. This is the word of the Lord. Well, there's so much here in this passage that we're not going to get to this morning. So I just immediately say, I have grace for Alex, okay? Um, Because there's a lot here um, that we're just not going to have time to touch on. And, you know, uh, this happens frequently. You know, each week I go to prepare uh, a message for um, our church. Uh, There there could be a million things to talk about, but what my task is to find out what is the one thing that God is uh, putting on on our church? What is the one thing that he's leading us into? And so I've I've done my best to do that uh, this morning. See, you know, Jesus has been on this very specific theme for the past well, three weeks that we've been together, uh, he said, you know, watch out for greed. Don't build bigger barns and sit back and, and say, take life easy. Last week, uh, the teaching that we read from Jesus was, don't worry about material possessions. Your life is not found in material possessions. And I would argue that this parable is really the continuation of that teaching. You know, there's no um, page breaks in the original text, right? So he's continuing to teach, and this parable that he tells is a continuation of the same teaching. But Jesus gets a bit apocalyptic here. By that, what I mean is that he starts talking about his return. All Christians believe that Jesus will return one day, at a day we don't know and in an hour we don't expect, to remake this world to look more like heaven. All Christians have believed that. But the question that this parable is really looking to answer is how should you live? You believe that, but how should you live as a result of that belief? And to illustrate it, he contrasts these two different types of servants. There's one type of servant who is up late, who has the candle lit, who's ready for the master to come back home. And there's another servant who isn't ready, who is drunk, full of food, and is belligerent and violent. One servant, this is the faithful one, is giving food to the other servants, but the other servant is just eating the food for himself. And in the story, each of these servants has a different fate that awaits them. The good servant actually has his master serve him. Did you catch that? It's so powerful. The master will come home and he'll say, you recline at the table and I'll serve you. 
that should mess with your understanding of the goodness of God. But for the other servant, he's cut to pieces. Ouch, that would hurt. What does this story mean practically? What does this story mean practically? What does it mean for you with your three children or for you with your looming deadline of papers or for you uh, and you're pondering about the future? What does it practically mean for you today? How should you live as a result of this teaching? You know, Peter, I think, asks a very fair question at one point in this passage. He says, you know, is this for, are you talking to everybody or are you talking to me? Like, who are you talking to? And instead of Jesus just giving him a straightforward answer, he just tells another story. And I find it nice to know that it isn't just me who hears Jesus teaching sometimes and thinks, all right, um, yeah. See, I've come to believe that this is by design because the Bible is not AI. The Bible's not AI. And certainly, Jesus is not AI. See, you know, if I have a question today, do you know what I do? If I have a question, I go to chat GPT and I start a chat. And I ask my question, right? Uh, we, recently, we toured a school. And uh, for our daughter, we're thinking about where she's going to go to school. And we toured this school. And they said, you know, one of, the, one of the things that she'll learn is she'll learn the difference between Baroque and classical music. And I thought to myself, what is the difference between Baroque and classical music? I actually went to Spotify. I started listening to some, I love classical music, so I listened to some Baroque music. And I was like, okay. And then I listened to some classical music, and I was like, okay. I'm almost positive it's the same thing that's going on there. I know, I know, I know that's frustrating, Tim. I know, I'm sorry. So I went into chat GPT and I said, what's the difference between Baroque and classical music? And they're like, oh, basically it's a time period. There's this time period, this time period. That is not how the Bible works. See, the Bible, oftentimes you open the Bible and it illuminates. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're reading the scriptures, you're reading about Jesus, or you're, you're making a connection between the old covenant and the new covenant, and oh my word, Jesus is the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, and it just illuminates. You go, I just, I see, I understand. Just revelation. But oftentimes, you open the Bible, and the Bible leaves you in the dark. You ever had that happen before? Sometimes you open the Bible, and you, or you read about Jesus or one of his teachings, and you leave with more questions than you entered. And, you know, I, I've thought about this as a dad and also as a pastor. Sometimes I, I think, uh, I need to try to answer for the Bible. I, my job is to explain this. And I almost have this impulse in me where I, I want many to be spared of the pain of walking in confusion or misunderstanding as a result of the confusing and misunder easily misunderstood material. But that's not how God feels. See, in God's wisdom, he preferred for you to have a relationship with him through the Bible rather than to simply have a relationship with the Bible. I'm going to say that again because some of you misheard me. In God's wisdom, he preferred for you to have a relationship with him through the Bible rather than to simply have a relationship only with the Bible. 
See, imagine if the Bible was like ChatGPT, which gave you definitive answers about life's most pressing questions. You had, an, you had a question, you just went to the Bible, you open it up, boom, there it is. All you would need would be the Bible. And the Bible would be an end in and of itself. But the Bible is not about information. It's far too mysterious and far too full of narrative and poetry to simply be about information. The Bible is all about introduction. Meet the author. Meet the God that the Bible reveals. See, I think that we have forgotten that the name Israel, which is the people that us Gentiles are grafted into, means to wrestle with God. The name Israel means to wrestle with God. God says, you know what, I, what kind of people I'm after? Those who are willing to wrestle with me. When I come home from church today, my son, when he sees me, he'll, he'll do this. <laughs> and that means that we should wrestle. God, the Bible exists to look at you and to go, <sighs> so that you'll get down on the ground and you'll play wrestle with God. And at times you may even really wrestle with God in confusion and tension and in the mystery of life. See, you are not invited into an intellectual exercise or a list of doctrines to agree with. You are invited to wrestle with a dad, and it's the same dad that Jesus had. And when you read his teachings, it'll push you to wrestle. See, Jesus says things like this. He says, beware of all forms of greed, the love of money, bigger barns, using wealth to provide you with security in this life. Beware. And then he is totally fine, even protects this woman who takes perfume and pours it on him that in today's dollars would cost around $40,000. Have you ever seen a bottle of perfume that costs $40,000? I, I think you could scour all of Paris and not come up with a bottle of perfume that costs $40,000 unless the bottle's made of gold or something. Beware of all forms of greed. Yes, you can anoint me with the $40,000 perfume. Or how about the fact that Jesus freely uses the money of particularly rich, uh, rich women for his ministry? Joanna, who funds Jesus' ministry, was the wife of Chusa, who's the manager of Herod's household. Okay, so elite levels of wealth. She funds his ministry. He's got no problem with her. Why did Jesus, you ever think about this? Why did Jesus need to eat at Zacchaeus' house? It's probably a bit nicer than the Masons. So if you come to Jesus and you say, okay, Jesus, what are the principles of faith? What's the principle here? What's the ideal with which I can use to make decisions in my life? Jesus and the Bible unequivocally say, 
That's the wrong question. The right question is, who will direct you? Who will direct your life? Who will direct you? See, Jesus is not a test giver. Sometimes we think of Jesus as he's giving a test. And so you got, you got to get the right answers. No, Jesus is a walker. He's on a walk. And there are no grades on this walk. There are only those who walk with him or do not. So I approach this. I did all of that to, to tell you this. I approach every story of Jesus as a meditation on truth and an opportunity for me to think again in relationship with him. So what is being said here? What is being said? What could this story about these two servants actually mean for us? I think it means one thing, and it's this. Eat with your belt on and live light. Eat with your, let's all read this together. I got to wake you up a little bit. Eat with your belt on and live light. Here's the image Jesus is painting. He says, you know, imagine you're this servant and your master goes away to a wedding banquet. Oftentimes in this culture, those would have lasted for a whole week. So it's a long event. And he expects that whenever he returns, which he's not telling you, he doesn't tell you when he's going to be back from the wedding. He says, but when I return, I want you awake and I want you to be able to quickly open the door so I can get in and you can quickly shut the door. I want the lights on, right? Because the first century um, cities were dangerous. The nighttime was a dangerous place. Uh, it was a dangerous time and the streets were full of robbers. And so he's going, I want you to be able to open the door so I can get in and you can shut. But I don't want you to just be awake. I don't want you to to just have the, the candle going. I want you to be dressed and ready for service. In another translation, I want you to be dressed for action. In the Greek, it actually says this. I want you to be girded to the hip to be girded to the hip. Now we're talking uh, first century imagery here. So these servants would be wearing likely a robe with some kind of a belt that fastened in the middle. And what he's saying is this, don't loosen your belt. Don't loosen your belt. Tuck your robes up into your belt so that you can be ready to move. You can be ready to run. Now, remember, it's interesting that Jesus talks about clothing here because he just got done talking about clothing, right? He said, don't worry about what you will wear. So what is he saying here? He's saying, don't worry about the quality or the quantity of clothing. Make your concern with the ability to move in it. The ability to move in it. You know, it's interesting, Moses actually encouraged the Israelites with this same exact phrase uh, when, when, when the Passover was happening. You guys know the, the story of the Passover. There's all the different, uh, the, the people of it, I'll give you a recap. The people of Israel are uh, held captive as slaves in Egypt. Moses comes along. There's all these different plagues that come upon the, uh, the people of Egypt, and God is saying, let my people go you know, release the slaves. And finally, there's one fateful night where God comes and the firstborn of each of the Egyptian families dies as a result of their unwillingness to let the Israelites go. And Moses says this to the people, eat this meal. This is your meal. We're about to go. Eat the Passover meal with your waist girded. Be girded to the hip. In other words, eat with a belt on. I think that Jesus is saying here, what does it mean? 
I think he's saying that there is a mood to your life that's going to look different than other people's moods of their lives. Because Jesus is returning, because Jesus is coming back, let's, let's, let's unpack the metaphor, because he's the master returning to his home, this world, he's saying, don't get comfy. Don't get comfy. Don't loosen your belt. Stay a bit Spartan. And I got to be honest with you, I really don't like this idea all that much at all. <laughs> Personally, I like being comfy. <laughs> Let me just put my cards on the table. There's actually a deeper theological kind of impulse in me on this. You know, we have this victorious theology here at, at our church. Um, you know, we believe that every single day is Resurrection Sunday since Jesus rose from the dead. Every day Easter. I believe that. I actually believe that the cross means something. It means something today. That Jesus' blood really cleanses you and makes you perfect. Don't take it up with me. Take it up with Hebrews chapter 10 if that offends you. I actually believe that I am seated in the heavenly realms and that all things are under our feet. You're like, wait a second. Didn't he say all things are under his feet? Yeah, but we're his body. Okay. So, I don't need to live in fear, right? But coupled with that teaching and that truth is this very strong teaching from Jesus, which says, stay sober. Eat with your belt on. The devil prowls around seeking to devour. Keep the candle lit. There's this passage that um, Jake and I used to often quote to one another at the early days of starting the church. It's this in 2 Timothy uh, 2 verse 4. It says this, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled. Let's say this together. Entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Like there's so many believers that they're like, I, want, I, I, I believe in you, Jesus. I just want to live like a civilian. I just don't want to sacrifice that. I don't want to stay up and pray. I don't want to actually devote myself to, to the scriptures and to understanding what you're, what you're saying. I don't want to go to the worship night. I don't want to go. I don't feel like going to church. He's like, oh, oh okay. Hey, look, when you came into me, you got a new identity. No soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. And we would just say it to each other like, eh, don't get entangled in civilian affairs. That's a civilian affair. The simple, message of, the simple message of this passage is that Jesus will return and you will be held accountable to the soberness, the readiness, uh, the alertness you lived with while you were here on earth. So stay awake. One scholar, Craig Keener, he said, this passage suggests that only those who travel lightly in this life will be prepared. Only those who travel lightly will be prepared. Now, within this passage, I also think there is the answer for what keeps us from living light. What keeps us from, from eating with a belt on? Greed, gluttony, and the pursuit of luxury. Notice what the good servant is up to. Look down at your Bibles, verse 42. This is the good servant. The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and the wise manager 
whom the master, this is what he puts him in charge of, puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Okay, so what's the definition of a good servant? The definition of a good servant is they give away the food that God gave them to give away. God doesn't ask you to give away what he hasn't given you. So a good servant is somebody who gets food and then gives it to the other servants, okay? What's the bad servant? All right, let's look at this guy again, verse 45. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. Okay, so what's a bad servant? Not feeding anyone, anyone but themselves. They get violent. Likely, you have to imagine, in his shame, because not doing what you know God wants you to do makes you feel ashamed. The cross has a solution for that, but it makes you feel ashamed. And likely, the people around you will always receive whatever you're hosting. Okay? So he's gorging himself on other people's food. And then in his shame, he's lashing out violently at the people around him. Now, I know this may be reaching a little bit, but I want you to think about it. The master, in his mind, bad servant, the master isn't coming. No master, okay? All that matters is right here in front of me, food and drink. I might as well. And he covers, I want you to get this. This servant is covering the pain that comes from not believing in God, not believing in God's return with material and taking other people's material for himself. More, and it's mine. There's a story in the Canterbury Tales you know, the Canterbury Tales tells of this um, pilgrimage that's taking place from London to Canterbury. And there's 29 people that set out on this pilgrimage. And each of them has to tell a story to kind of pass the time as they're on this pilgrimage. And there's one story called the Pardoner's Tale. The Pardoner was a, um, I don't think that we have them today, but it was a, a guy within the Catholic Church who went around selling indulgences and also carried around relics and would say, if you kiss this relic, um, then, you know, if you pay my, me money to kiss this relic, then you'll be, you know, saved, that sort of thing. So the partner, it's his turn to tell a story. And here's his story. If you want, this is story time with Alex. So you could close your eyes, do whatever you got to do to get comfortable. Here's the story. There are three friends who go looking for death because they're righteous and they want to kill death and be done with him. They're done with death. So they go out in search of death and they come across an old man who says that death is just over there beneath the oak tree. I just saw him. I think he's beneath that oak tree. So excited, they run over to the oak tree and what do they find under the oak tree? But a chest full of money gold coins, a complete fortune. Immediately, any search for death is forgotten, and they begin planning, how are they going to get these gold coins back to their home unsuspiciously? 
they make a decision that the youngest, yeah, you should go into town and you should go get a cart to carry this heavy chest of gold and come back and then we'll take it to your house. So the youngest sets off. And as he's going into the town, he starts thinking, you know, I don't want to share all of this gold with those ugly misers. I want it all. Hmm. What I will do is I'll buy some wine and I'll buy some poison. And when I return, I'll get them to drink it in celebration of finding the gold. And they'll die and it will be mine. Now, while he's on his way to town, the other two are just swimming in the gold coins. And the most evil one makes a suggestion. Hey, how about when he returns, we kill him? And that's one less person to split this money with. And they agree. Let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. Now, the, one, the, the, the youngest one returns with the cart and with the wine full of poison. And the other two attack him and stab him to death. Just awful. But then in celebration, they say, ah, he's brought us wine. And they both drink and drink and drink and fall down dead. And just like that, death is found. Do you see it? The fastest way to death is through greed and gluttony. I almost think of it this way. The materialistic life is the life that uses material to cover real spiritual pain. Like, if, if, if you are trying to get your needs met in material things, whether that's a per person or whether that's money or some kind of preferred future, your desire isn't the problem. It's that your desire has been misplaced. And when that happens, greed, more in mind, that becomes an internal operating system that helps you make all of the wrong choices. It helps you value all of the wrong things. And it will make you fall asleep when you should have been awake. But if you remember death, isn't it like memento mori? If you remember death, if you remember that, no, Jesus is returning. He is coming back. It's like getting a different internal operating system that prioritizes the correct things here on earth. Doing what, he's coming back. I'm going to do what he said to do. I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to eat with a belt on. I'm going to care for people. In other words, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to find my purpose in material. I'm going to use material to express the divine prerogative. I'm going to use material to actually express who God is. Because that's what the good servant is doing. He, all the good servant is doing is he's taking the food that the master gave him and he's giving it to others. He's using material to express what the master intends. And this is the theme that's run through the past three weeks. Give the weight of your life to things, and when they go, your very life will go. So live light. Gird yourself. Don't get too comfy here. Don't be lulled into a sleep by the leather seats and the organic food 
and the nice wine. Live light. Look, there are people, and I would guess they're even in this room. It may even be you. There are people who work, and they work, and they work, and they wear themselves out to achieve a state of living that Jesus says, watch out for. The trap of pursuing wealth in this life is not a trap that you stumble upon. It's a trap that you build. So, I feel like we've been talking about this for the past three weeks. Is Jesus against us having nice things? Is Jesus against you having quality in your life or a home to live in or a car to drive? He's not against those things. But what did they cost you? What did they cost you? How much of your life is invested in them? How much weight have you given those things that you carry in this life? I want you to think about something for a moment. You know, Jesus was literally accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. Do you remember that? He's accused of being like this bad servant. You're a drunkard and you're a glutton. So here's the deeper question. How can this accused glutton also say, eat with your belt on? Remember, the Bible's not AI. This is wisdom. This is a meditation. And here's, let me give, let me give it to you. There is a distinction between the blessing that came from God and the blessing that I went out and got for myself. Those are two different kinds of blessing. One lives heavy, the other lives light. Proverbs 23, verse 4 through 5 says this, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. I've spent time wearing myself out trying to get to just that next level. I'm like, how am I going to get money together to buy the rental property so I can get passive income so then I can buy another rental property? How am I going to build my empire? In wisdom, at some point, some people are, you know what? God has that for you. And he's going to bless you in ways that that comes easy. But for me, it would have killed me because he didn't ask me to do that. He asked me to do this. So then... What I'm getting at is everybody has the same amount of hours in the day. We all have the same amount of hours. And for some of you, those hours, eight hours, it's 100 grand, just like that. For others of you, it's $100. And at some point, you have to say, I'm not going to wear myself out trying to get what that person has. I'm going to accept that in your wisdom, you chose for me to have what I have and to enjoy what I have. And because it all lives light and it's all a gift from you, it it can come in light and it can go light. There are people who they have worn themselves out to get rich and the cost, just the pure cost of achieving the lifestyle that they have, now inhibits them from being open to God or generous to other people. It just costs too much to get this. It just cost me everything that I was. It, in some cases, cost me my marriage or my family in order to get this lifestyle. And so I'm hanging on to it. It lives heavy as a rock in my life. Proverbs 10 verse 22 says this, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow with it. 
there is a sort of blessing that has no sorrow with it. And that is the sort of blessing, that's the sort of wealth that lives light. It doesn't weigh you down because it came light. You didn't earn it, God gave it. So it lives light. And you can stay awake because you didn't spend all of your energy trying to get rich, trying to get more. For those who make their focus to stay awake and to serve others, to give away the food that God has given them, Jesus says, when I get home, you're going to recline and I'm going to serve you. So to end, how to be the good servant, how to be the good servant. I want to continue psychoanalyzing this bad servant for just a moment to get to how to be the good servant. You know, he's gluttonous, he's beating people. And I was thinking about it, I was like, someone who beats a servant is like the worst person in our cultural imagination. Can you imagine if you heard like that your friend or your neighbor, first of all, that they had a servant, second of all, that they were beating their servant up? Can you think of like a worse act? It's pretty hard to relate to that sort of person, isn't it? So think about why. Why would this, why would this servant start beating people? Why would he do that? Verse 45. But suppose the servant says to himself, self, my master is taking a long time in coming. Problem number one. He consults himself. Remember what Jake said? It's the same thing. I'll say to myself, take life easy. Build bigger barns. I say to myself, you need a voice in your life that isn't just yours. And then what does he say? What conclusion does he come to? Because he has consulted himself. My master's not coming back. Now, let me ask you this. Has somebody being late to a meeting ever made you beat the people around you? No, (laughs) me neither. But imagine if his thoughts are this, who knows if my master will come home at all? He's hopeless. And if I don't get mine while the getting is good, God's not gonna take care of me. I can't imagine a world where he would ask me to recline. He doesn't believe in the goodness of God. He's hopeless and he doesn't have correct theology. Might I put forth this morning that this servant is hopeless and he's hurt? And let me ask you this. Have you ever done something that hurt you or hurt people around you when you were hopeless and when you were hurt? Me too. Who you think God is is who you will become. If you look at your life and you're like, what happened to me? How did I get so angry? How did I get so short with people? Why am I always comparing myself to other people? Ah, you have a theology about God. You think God is absent. You think that he's angry. You think that he's unreliable and that he's stingy. And so you've become those things. Your identity, it's impossible for this to not be the case. It's it's, it's true for every single human. Your identity is rooted in who you think he is. Hopelessness leads to pain, and pain leads to anger, and anger to control and to control to violence. 
But at the very beginning of our passage is the answer to all of this. Verse 35, it says this, be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. In other words, how do you, how do you keep a lamp burning? In this time period, you need oil. Stay full of oil. What is oil in, in the Bible? What does it represent in the Bible? It represents the Holy Spirit. That's what oil represents. So, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Keep them full of Holy Spirit. <laughs> what is the seal of our hope? What reminds us of our future? Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Let's all read it out loud together. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is available to you this morning so that you would remember your hope. You would remember your inheritance. The Holy Spirit would live like a seal. Remember where you're going. Remember a life with God in his presence. So how do you stay awake? You stay hopeful. How do you stay hopeful? You keep oil in your lamp. How do you keep oil in your lamp? This is like the main question I get from young people in our church. How do you keep oil in your lamp? How do you get more of the Holy Spirit? Can you get more of the Holy Spirit? I thought you already had the Holy Spirit. Okay. If you're from Fox, get your notes out. Holy Spirit comes to the apostles in John chapter 20. Jesus breathes on them. says, receive the Holy Spirit. One. Then again, he says, wait for the Holy Spirit. When he's, when he's going to ascend, he says, wait for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Wait, I already thought that the Holy... Okay, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, Holy Spirit falls at Pentecost. Then, so let's just say two times. Okay. Then, in Acts chapter 4, verse 31... The believers are together, they're praying, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Three. And then Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, but be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Might I put forth to you this morning, to get drunk requires continual imbibing. To be full requires continual filling. Guys, we have a life to live here and now, one that reflects the goodness of God, one that will feed the people around us and reflects our hope in his return and our future consolation. You must be filled with oil. You must be filled with oil again and again. Let's stand. We're going to pray. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.